to the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah. Today, we pick up where we left off in the story of Amanda Montgomery. To quickly recap our last episode, we interviewed her on the work she was doing, and we celebrated the diverse praxis of it all. Amanda is a go-getter. She just finished her doctorate, and she is writing a book and subsequent curriculum she intends to use to help churches talk about scripture we like to gloss over, namely, all of the sexual assault, rape, and human trafficking issues we can find within our own Bible. While the topic alone is subversive, the way that she is having to embody this ministry is equally so. This former executive pastor has stepped away from traditional pastoral ministry to pursue this work full-time. And without these constraints of the Sunday morning focus of a pastor in traditional ministry, she can fully and completely be the advocate God has called her to be for those experiencing sexual assault and human trafficking. In part two of Amanda's story, we take a look at the philosophy of ministry and ask her what she thinks about being linked to things like diverse praxis and subversive ministry. Join us as we discuss further with Amanda Montgomery on the Gorilla Pastors Podcast. What I noticed was that Christians could not have conversation with each other if they disagreed with one another. It's all about entering in to the textured presence of lived lives. And so the, the sanitation of it just broke for me. Like, church can't be sanitized. I always feel like I'm not what people think of when they think of a pastor. I went to school for youth ministry and have now figured out how to do like construction work. It's good, good stuff. The church is struggling and declining in ways that we've never experienced in the United States and Canada right now. We have to like allow ourselves to embrace new ways of being in a place. Insurgent revolutions, i.e. guerrilla warfare, is 20% bullets and 80% blessing the people. How do we be eternally faithful? Like literally, like how do we be faithful in a way today that in 20 years, people aren't going, he was evil. Why are we so afraid? We believe that God is at work in all places, in all people, at all times. That is amazing and that should give us hope. We are the Gorilla Pastors. Join us as we explore a world of ministry founded on subversive presence. After spending some time asking Amanda to share with us what her subversive ministry was, I asked her to tell us what she thought about the concept in general. In my mind, she was embodying it, and I wanted to know if she agreed. So here was her response. Yeah, I think, um, well, the first thing I think of it is what it's not, which is um, let's keep polishing the inside of a church and hope people will come, right? Some might, <laughs> but even then they, they 
have a stereotype of how they're supposed to act in a church. To me, what I'm hearing with subversive ministry really is let us, let us move with the flow of the culture, Um, not be moved by the culture. I don't mean that, but to be positioned where the the Lord has already led us um, in the inner groups that we're already in, um, in the passions that we already have and let ministry come out organically there. And so, yeah, it might look a little more subversive that way because it's not traditional. Um, I, I think it's great. Do you feel like you're doing it? I think I'm beginning to do it. I think I, I think there's so much work to be done. So I think I'm beginning to do it. Yeah. For my next question, we got more specific. I had used her story as an example of celebrating a diverse praxis, and I wanted to know if she thought she was embodying this tenant. Yeah, that's so good. Um, yeah, I do think I'm embodying it. I think being able to trust that um, the Lord is orchestrating something bigger than any of us. And so, okay, I guess I would say it this way. I used to play the clarinet. It's been a long time. Lost my embouchure years ago, but I was in a, symph- uh, in a symphony, right? And uh, the clarinet is, is an instrument that I like. I, I wouldn't want to just listen to a clarinet solo all the time or ever, really. Um, I like to hear it with the rest of the instruments, right? Um, and so to think that I can just, it doesn't matter if I'm a great clarinetist or not, I was okay. Um, but, but to think that that is, is embodying all of music would be a huge mistake. And so to me, I guess with, with the silly metaphor, but if God is the maestro, right, if he's orchestrating something that is far bigger than any one instrument. Now, if I'm there trying to fight other clarinetists or the bassoon, I'm definitely going to lose to the bassoon, right, or the violin. Um, I am not playing in harmony. I think it's best just to know when I need to be, you know, the dynamics, right? This is the moment where I take the lead. This is the moment where I, where I go back and I vamp, right? If it were jazz or something, right? Um, and realizing that there's space for all, and it's going to be so much better if we create space for all. So I, when you talk about diverse praxis, that's kind of where my mind goes. Um, it's bigger than any one person, and that's okay. Um, yeah. And since Amanda is this brilliant gorilla pastor with a, a doctoral degree, I had to ask her about our other tenants to see what she thought as well. This next one was Broad Kingdom Imagination. Here's what she said. First thing that came to my mind was God is in the details. Um, if, I, if I picture that the Holy Spirit has been with every single person that I've ever met <laughs> from before they were born until the day that I meet them, the Lord knows them through and through. And so for me to try to dictate what kind of conversation needs to happen is would be um, arrogant and naive, <laughs> both, um, at the same time. So um, broad ministry, I'd say, is really just hands off the reins, letting the Lord do it wherever it is. And so, it, yeah, it's probably going to look a lot less traditional at times, and that's okay. I think it's the both and. and the traditional is always sort of a... I, I laugh at it because, like, traditional for what, 100, maybe 200 years, right? Like, how long have we really done church in this format and mm-hmm. with this methodology? There's maybe been tenets of it through through the last 1,000, 1,500 years with the Catholic cathedrals and mm-hmm. that, but even that has quite a bit of difference from what we do as evangelicals with our focuses, right, on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. So I think the Lord can use all places, yeah. right? And so some people will be consciously seeking the Lord 
And they may not know anywhere to go except for through the front doors of a church. So will the Lord continue to use those avenues? Absolutely, right? Um, but I think that the Lord is in the details and, and will meet right alongside in those God moments that happen when people least expect it. Um, I think that that happens way more often than we talk about. And finally, we got our thoughts on benevolent orthodoxy. So I think it could be life-giving. I think it, it can be, um, I think it's absolutely necessary. So I have more non-believing family members than I do believing family members. Um, and I think if I were to ask them what is a Christian, they would tell me what, we're, what we are outraged by, right, rather than what we actually believe. Um, because that's what they hear. Hopefully not from me, but, but just the stereotype. The next thing they would think is that we're a cult. Um, and, you know, they, they like me still, but they don't want to be part of the cult. That's just what they think. And so, um, yeah, so I think if we were to start talking about what, what, we, what we do believe in and the compassion and, and love for neighbor and what that actually means and, and living it out rather than just saying it, I think that would be huge. Then we took a bit of a detour and we discussed the D word. And by that, of course, I mean deconstruction. If you have spent any amount of time in the evangelical world lately, you know that that word is loaded. It generally comes with all sorts of negative connotations. But honestly, most of the time, it is simply the label used to describe things that we don't understand or we fear. And since Amanda was entering into unknown territory, I wondered if this wouldn't happen to her as well. So I asked her directly, would people call you a deconstructionist? I don't think that they will. I don't think that they will. But in many ways, the ministry that I hope to do is a partnership with traditional churches, yeah. right? And so being able to come in and, and speak and, and different things like that. Um, so I don't think that I would necessarily be seen as a deconstructionist, a deconstructionalist. Um, yeah, looking at scripture in different ways is probably the spot where some people will have some difficulty, right? Um, but I think that scripture can hold up to scrutiny. Yeah. And I think in many ways it, it helps us to see a reflection of ourselves in it. So I, I'm not concerned about that. Since the mic was on Amanda, you can't hear my response. In essence, what I said was that many will use this term deconstruction to simply dismiss things they don't like, that they don't understand, and that they fear. After this clarification, here is how she responded. Oh, I see. Okay, so like the buzzword to throw it in the, the overgeneralization wastebasket. Things we don't want to face. Mm. Yeah, so Whether if we're using a buzzword for the purpose of um, dismissing something that seems too tough, um, I think that we're being lazy. Um, so when I was doing this research and looking at sexual assault in the Bible, power abuse, I spent a lot of time in prayer and, and desperate per prayer saying, Lord, I am worried being, you know, a rape survivor, um, somebody who has experienced PTSD in the past. I am worried if I find something that does not fit, but my faith says that the Bible, um, makes sense, that the Holy Spirit makes sense. You have never let me down. What happens when I'm starting to look, dive deep into some of these abuse situations where the person that we have been told to love 
in the Bible is the perpetrator. What if I find out something about God that I can't handle, that I can't, that I can't live with? <laughs> and I felt like the Lord just continued to let me know, we are doing this together. You have to go down this path. And what did I do? I, I fell in love with the Lord even more. I, tr- I trust the Lord even more because we, we looked behind that curtain. And all I see is the most compassionate Lord. He, he's exactly who I thought the Lord was, right? But more so. And so um, it's really the reason why I wrote that book. So I don't see it as deconstruction. I see it as, if anything, a fractal, right? The pattern of, of, of who I thought the Lord was, the character goes so much deeper, but it's still the same God over and over and over again. After interviewing Amanda, I had a chance to sit down with both of my co-hosts, Ryan Fasani and Brian Wardlaw, to discuss all of the work she was doing. Now, to clarify work, we mean ministry practice, namely the diverse praxis that she is embodying. For the purposes of this episode, we will not be diving into the specifics of the book she is writing or the curriculum she is sharing with the churches she is partnering in ministry with. However, Amanda is going to be back. Once she starts this journey of partnering with churches in Western Washington, we are going to have her join us for a roundtable discussion to dive deeper into the subject matter her work covers namely sexual assault and human trafficking found within the biblical text itself. But for the purposes of this episode, we want to focus on why Amanda doing the work that she is doing is necessary. First and foremost, not all pastors feel equipped to talk about such sensitive subject matter. This is why having an expert like Amanda is crucial. Why it is better for us to have a diverse praxis that we can celebrate as we partner with one another in the ministry of the church. In the conversations we had about Amanda's work, we discussed many things, including all of the times we got in trouble for touching those untouchable Sunday morning sermon topics. Eventually, after swapping enough war stories about all of the ways we learned what not to talk about on a Sunday morning, we eventually got to the heart of the matter, the reason why Amanda's work is crucial. The reason diverse praxis is so important for the Church of Tomorrow is because of the emphasis we place on the pulpit. Here's Brian to articulate further what we're talking about. So when when we narrow things down to a Sunday morning, to a pulpit behind one person who uh, who is not... (laughs) who is not guaranteed pure (laughs) Uh, as we see every week, it's like, do we have to further dissolve the centralizing of the pulpit word on Sunday morning, the pulpit centric word on Sunday morning to to do diverse praxis. And I, and I just, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, Man, I mean, because obviously there is enough anybody for years, for at least 20 years, I've heard the analogy of the church can, if it's not careful, can become a a country club. Um, And it can bow to their pain members and the desires of that. And we continue to see that. 
Um, and so it just continues to say to us, that's why diverse praxis is important and has to be done. Um, and it has to be much, much broader than that. Because if Sunday mornings, if, if, if Ryan Fasani, of all people, has to tiptoe <laughs> around postmodern characters, or basically, or characterizations for 10 years, then how, then how does that work? It just, it doesn't work. I mean, and I would say you're probably one of the mo- you're one of the more bold people who are going to go, I'm going to speak what I, what my heart and what I find to be faithful more than many others. And, uh, and, and not, not cause you're a jerk, but just because I think of your, your, I, I think your voice is more apostolic. I think, um, then some that are going to lean towards more of a shepherd and, and uh, of, of others. And they're going to lean towards trying to be faithful to those that are shepherd more than trying to be faithful to that prophetic voice. Um, and so that even within those personalities, to hear that story from you just says to me, this is why diverse practice is so important. Much, it's got to get so much broader than, than a Sunday morning. And we can do all those things without taking the Sunday morning pulpit away. There are healthy and unhealthy ways of preaching the good news. Healthier ways incorporate less restriction and more potential for breadth of witness. And any forces that restrict that, like in the story that I told, the more problems you're inviting because you're squelching the creativity and the faithfulness of the one that has been deemed leader or whatever, or been given the graces and, you know, and gifts of, of preaching. That's one, way, that's one way to hold the problem, or that's one problem to hold. The other problem, actually, I, is maybe even bigger. Josiah gets a little bit of what you're talking about, but is really critical to, to what Brian's sort of massaging out here, and that is systems that are homogenous are unhealthy. Systems that are diverse are healthy and more sustainable. And that applies universally ecologically, right? Literally across the ecosphere of the globe that we live in. That is almost universally true. So is it true with the church, right? Because the opposite of diversity is not restriction. The opposite of diversity is homogeneity. It's, it's the same, right? And when we continue to, to narrow and narrow and narrow to a particular way of delivering the good news or preaching, we have essentially cut off the potentiality of diverse flourishing of how we preach the good news to our communities, to our families, to our neighbors, to the world, right? And, and so there's two things going on here, right? There's the restriction of the pastor's voice and creativity and so on and so forth, which is something I've experienced firsthand, but I've also experienced a system, i.e. a way of doing church and post, you know, sort of 20th century post-Christian reality, which is very like similar, or you might say, to, you know, in modern nomenclature, cookie cutter or something like that, right? And I like that one of our pillars is diverse praxis because it insists that health is in diversity. Right, so this is one of the reasons why I celebrate the work that Amanda's doing, because without what appears maybe from the outside as a divergent voice, but from the inside looks like 
just another creative expression of embodying and preaching the good news. Without that, we are less healthy as a body. Right? We are less healthy as the church. As Ryan was talking, I connected immediately with something Amanda had said in the previous episode about a friend who felt like her story had never been fully told. And it wasn't until we were naming stories in the Bible for what they were that she felt like her story was represented. Despite how uncomfortable it made some of us, naming things as sexual assaults, as rape, as human trafficking actually helped more fully embody this gospel message for those who were hearing it. They too felt like they were part of the story of God. And the refreshing reality is that Amanda is doing work that not all pastors can do, which is why her work is so important and why it can't be contained to one church for one hour, one day a week. Her goal of equipping churches, their pastors and parishioners to better understand the problem of human trafficking so as not to be part of the problem is crucial to the gospel message of loving God with our everything and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Additionally, her work helps better reveal a more robust picture of who God is, as well as how he interacts with humanity based on scripture that many of us, we just don't want to touch in the first place. On this topic, this tendency to avoid the diverse experiences and stories within the Bible itself is where my co-hosts and I wrapped up our discussion. How does the church practice and witness and embody a diverse practice as it lives into the story of resurrection and redemption? If the resources for diversity are off limits to access and publicize. And by that, I mean the resources of diversity in the very book that we name as inspired and from God, right? Because there's a host of diversity in the church. We don't get Sunday morning worship where everyone sits and faces forward and participates in three worship songs and then listens to a 45-minute sermon anywhere in the scriptures. Not, not, no, nothing even resembles that remotely. But that homogenous way of practicing corporate worship is not accessing an entire representation, a library of possibilities of ways of congregating and corporately worshiping and proclaiming the good news. So what does the church do when, when a whole plethora of options that are inspired and in the good book are, are not accessed and not shared. The other question is, what, what do we do when the sensitivities of the local church inhibit us from diversity? And we could go as far as we want. We could go the diversity of people and people groups, but that's not exactly how I mean it. I mean diversity of practice, essentially. But that's not. That's also not to to sort of to you know kind of keep out some of those other diverse concerns because dif diversity of people come with diverse cultures and diverse interests and you know and, and diverse practices and therefore would bear on the church a diversity of perspectives. But what does the church do when it when it's limited in its 
ability to hold diversity, right? To participate in an evolving and ever-changing creative rainbow of possibilities. I mean, we could say it a thousand different ways, but the point is when the church seems inoculated from difference, when it literally seems vaccinated from anything other than what is comfortable and has been, how do we enter into those spaces and encourage and support and proclaim the need for diversity? Because I don't think it's, it's cut bait and run. I don't think it always means, though we do have a good reference of having to step away from leadership to insist on diverse, a diverse perspective and diverse concerns. How do, I mean, how do we do that in all sincerity? Yeah, I, so I, I, think, I think there is a drive in time for humanity to when we start to gather to move towards homogeneity. And if we don't understand the danger of that, then we do tend to create the insulations that keep us from any other, from, from diversity. And if we, so once, I think the first part of doing that is to allow ourselves to go into uncomfortable territory. Um, and I know, I know what the dangers are of that. I know what people's fear are. If we go there, then all of a sudden, uh, we're doing, yeah, it's a slippery slope. I mean that, and I just, I don't, I, I think when we go there, then, then it just shows that we're leaning on our own power because if it was just me, yes, it'd be a slippery slope, but to believe in the power of Christ, uh, and the transforming work of Christ and to talk about this for hundreds of years, but not actually live into it in a way that we believe that we can't move into slippery slopes and still and be left standing on to use scripture analogy the rock of christ if you know i i just i don't understand that and so i do think that there is a place in which we're going to have to allow ourselves to go into uncomfortable territory um in so that we can learn i can't tell you enough how much i have learned about my own faith and my own uh how to live my life in a more loving way then by becoming deep soul friends with people who have no faith but love well. Um, that's, I mean, you can say there's a slippery slope around something there, you know, morals, blah, 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 you know, whatever. But, man, they've taught me to love well. Yeah, that's, whew, that's a lot of good stuff. Uh, you know, a couple things come to mind. The first is, you know, Diverse practice necessarily means that we must practice ministry in as diverse of ways as the incarnate love of Jesus reaches. Now, back up and ask yourself, does the local church do that? To some degrees, it tries. It hosts AA groups. It has play groups for stay-at-home parents you know, to connect in that unique stage of life of just pure ex physical exhaustion when you've got babies. And there, there's other creative, quote-unquote, outreaches. But that's not totally what I mean. First of all, it could be way, my diver way more diverse in its attempted outreach. But what I mean is, is a deeper meaning. Is the, is the church 
sanctioning, supporting, affirming, and sending staff members, trained leaders, and professionals into the world as representatives of the body of Christ doing legitimate work in those div- as diverse of fields as you could imagine, doing as creative and a diverse work as you can possibly imagine. Again, with the caveat, insofar as the incarnate love of Jesus has already gone there, which of course leaves nothing restricted. And who in their right mind could say, oh, we've got it all covered? We're not even close. Like, we haven't even touched a fraction of it, right? And so, you know, the, the tendency is to think, well, I could totally see carving out five hours of my young adult pastor's, you know, staff member's job and, and affirming that they can spend it in the ER because the, Jesus is present in the suffering of those that are in, you know, the ER. Oh, okay, that's, 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 that's great. But would you employ that staff member entirely to be present in the hospital? As you know, would you affirm and take seriously and celebrate the successes of that pastor hosting, you know, corporate gatherings in in that hospital setting, right? And I mean, we could ramify this out a, a thousand times because we all have those those little corners of existence where the incarnate love of God must be represented because they're dear to our hearts. That's that's all I'm asking. Be honest with what those the sensitivities you have for those parts of the world where church people don't go, or 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 maybe they're just not inclined to fully support their own being present there, right? That's that's what I'm that's what I'm interested in exploring in terms of diverse praxis, right? Because that's all under the umbrella of what it means to be the body in the world. You know, I I came across something the other the other day. And it was by a woman named Natalie Goldberg, who's one of these like writers for writers kind of thing. She's, and, and anybody that's good enough to write that writers are willing to like invest time into reading their stuff are, are usually brilliant and like sagacious, right? Like just super smart and insightful and wise. Anyhow, she said this thing and I think she was quoting someone else, but that's beside the point. Natalie Goldberg said, if you want to write, you must be comfortable with being disturbed. Because the truth is, all the interesting material in life is disturbing on some fundamental level. Think about it. Even the good things that make us feel really cozy inside, you scratch a little bit and it gets disturbing. It gets complex. There's nuance. There's layers. There's backstories. There's hurt and pain and regret and sorrow and grief. Everything. There is nothing. Every member of the, the you know, Golden State Warriors that are at the pinnacle of success, there's so much going on in each of those individuals' lives. And sure, there's glitter falling on that day that they won the final game of the NBA Finals. But let me tell you, like, if there's ever a true statement, it is every person up on that podium has disturbing material that needs to be held gently and loved well. This is another way of being diverse. Can the church, can God's people enter into the disturbing things? And I mean that in people's lives as we relate and befriend them, not evangelize them per se. But I also mean when we go to our own book, like Amanda says, are we willing to come up close and really get familiar with the parts of that book that are disturbing? 
because there's a lot to be mined there. Brian, that's that's so good there. I mean, because it's it it is it is the leaning into the dangerous places. I mean, so many of that can be. We just named three different places of leaning in, whether it be vocationally, um, whether it be within you know ministries or whatever. And you're talking even just sometimes even through reading, like reading uh, stuff that that we don't agree with uh, or or that scares us. Um, uh, man, that's just it's it's it really is. It's the good stuff that leads us into a more uh, like robust kingdom kind of imagination. So here we are, leaning in, fully supporting Amanda and all that she is doing and doing what we can to platform not only her story, but the work that she is doing. Now in a future episode, we're going to dive deeper into more of the specifics of what this work looks like. And we're hoping that by this time, her book will be available for us to share with you as well. But what is perhaps most exciting for me is that she has agreed to come back on the show in the future after she has actually done the work of partnering with a local church. In upcoming episodes, we're going to further unpack what is at stake for pastors trying to do the good work of preaching honestly from the Bible. But we're also going to hear from traditional church pastors who have spent significant time here in the Pacific Northwest. The hope is that part of our discussion with Amanda will coincide with a pastor who has invited Amanda to come and lend her voice to the conversation on not being part of the problem and instead better understanding how to advocate for those who have experienced sexual assault and human trafficking. But until then, we will continue our work of shedding a light on unique ministry practices, celebrating the diversity of this praxis. Our goal is to continue to share stories like Regina's, which embody this broad kingdom imagination, to platform ministries like Sean. Josiah, and this is the Gorilla Pastors Podcast.